Welcome, everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. And I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at twoguystothedarktowercame.com. You can also email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll cover book two of The Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, Shuffle. Let's start the show. Hey, so everybody had a much shorter reading assignment for this episode, hey Jay? Yeah, we we went easy on them this time. <laughs> to make up for the uh, long Eddie section, although uh, Eddie's section is very easy to get through because it's so exciting. Um, we slowed things down a little bit here. So I'll give you my summary. After being pulled into the gunslinger's world, Eddie must try to nurse Roland back to health while combating his own heroin withdrawal and fighting back the hungry lobstrosities. Can the two of them survive their illnesses and each other before the second person is drawn? I could be a copywriter for uh, next week on. (laughs) Yeah, in a world where lobstrosities haunt your every move. (laughs) So we've got a short section here, um, and we're sort of in between the drawing of the three. We've got Eddie drawn, and we're seeing two people in really bad shape on the alien beach that they're continuing their their quest for the dark tower on but before they can continue that quest um we have to make sure roland doesn't die and he doesn't go crazy and he doesn't kill roland lobstrosities don't kill both of them they actually have food to eat there's a lot going on in these 20 little pages from a from a plot standpoint but really a lot of what's happening here is sort of the psychological as we continue the interplay between eddie and roland and that was something i was talking about with one of our twitter followers actually tonight um pointing out some of the good interplay in the lines between eddie and roland and then also just sort of their characters together i think it makes a good contrast in this section yeah definitely um so fun 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 stuff here in in a in a short section and it's all structured around this metaphor of the cards right stephen king calls the section shuffle and as we see roland dip in and out of consciousness throughout this the sections are broken up with the shuffle as he sort of goes into one thought there's a shuffle and it picks up with another thought um and it the section starts with roland sort of hallucinating the last pieces of the gunfight uh, where he sees the tower of cards that had been built by mm-hmm. the mob boss sort of flying around and his sickness is, is he's in a fevered state. Um, what do you make of this structure? Does it work for you? Does it not work for you, Jay? Do you find it interesting? I think it does work. And um, although it is fairly straightforward in terms of imagery uh, and, and it begins even as far back as the end of, um, of the gunslinger where the man in black is using a, a, a tarot deck to predict the gunslinger's future. So this is our, our introduction to cards, playing cards, tarot cards, uh, all sorts of cards and decks of cards and things that can be shuffled and, and in that shuffle tell us more than what they say sure. individually. So we begin that metaphor all the way back in the previous book. And then, as you say, when Roland is going in and out of his fever dream consciousness, his mind is being shuffled, his consciousness is being shuffled. But we're also following the path of the drawing of the three, and each of those things goes back to the tarot deck. 
And so we are, again, still dealing with cards. And when we meet Balazar, Balazar is obsessed with cards. He builds houses of cards. Um, and that's like something that brings him peace, but also something that can throw him into fits <laughs> of rage. So, um, but I, I do like the shuffle metaphor for Roland's consciousness. The shuffle itself is that act of the cards being jumbled and flipped together. And it sort of reminded me a little bit of like flipping through the pages of a book mm. where you kind of leave off in one place and pick up in another and you're not sure where that'll be, but you just have to keep moving forward. And that yep. feels more like what Roland was dealing with. It's, a, it's definitely a different metaphor than one usually uses for unconsciousness where they just sort of black out and come to and it it was a, a different piece than that you know i've read enough detective noir type pieces where hey they see stars as they black out into unconsciousness and you know everything's sort of wavy i think the shuffle works a little different one thing that i'll mention and this sort of ties right into our next section is the interesting thing about the cards is they're totally random in some way, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think I read something recently, like if you shuffle a deck really thoroughly, the order of your deck has probably never come up before in your life. It's just so, you know, with 52 cards, there's so many different combinations of how those cards can be ordered. Um, so it's it's very random in some sense, this cards. But on the other hand, as you said, with the tarot cards and even with the deck of cards, there also is a very precise order to them as well, right? There's four suits, there's 13 cards, they go in this order, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's interesting that the, as we talk here in a second about how Roland has this obsession with Ka and what could be seen as destiny, um, how these cards can be at, at both times, both random, as we see through the shuffle, but on the other hand, as the man in black did when he read the tarot cards, there is some sort of order and predictive ability to the cards as well. And I wonder how much that plays into it. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're predicting anything, if you're saying that this is going to be what comes in the future, you're no longer random. You're, you are setting things in motion that will definitely happen in this way. So it's like he's using something that can be random to take away random yep um or randomness i guess yep so i think that leads in fairly well to our next topic um which gets spelled out in this section i know when we were talking in the gunslinger we had a listener tell us how important ka was and she wanted us to discuss that and that was our listener sonia and here's when we really get a full description of Ka. You know, I think it had been mentioned earlier by Roland, but, you know, now that he's got Eddie to play off of and ask questions, we get our first description of Ka. And specifically, you know, Eddie doesn't get it at first and says, Ka, that's the only thing I know is if you say it twice, it's, it's baby doo-doo, right? Mm -hmm. But he asked, what is Ka? And the gunslinger says, here it means duty or destiny or in the Vulgate, a place you must go. Right. And then later on, Roland says that the only three things that matter to him are death, Ka, and the tower. So we get our first real understanding of what Ka is and how that leads in some way and binds Roland to his actions. Do you think Roland has a unique vision or understanding of ka or is this something that anybody 
in Roland's world would agree upon? If it were just destiny, I would say that it might be just Roland thinking that, you know, that, you know, Roland already sees himself as somewhat unique being the last gunslinger. And he comes from a line of gunslingers who could trace themselves back to Arthur Eld and his father was a really important person. But the fact that duty is there makes me think that this is probably something that all the gunslingers learned and all have a sense of Ka, that this is part of their duty and destiny is growing up in this very hierarchical society. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with what you just said, that I think the basic definition of just destiny is probably universally held, but taking it further, making it more specific and adding duty to it, that sounds like a concept that would be important to a soldier. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's what Roland is. He's trained like a soldier uh, to be a gunslinger. Gunslinger is a kind of soldier, a kind of knight. in the, I guess, maybe the romantic sense of what a knight is, their duty and honor are things that are paramount to their motivations. So they're, they're, they are what guide their actions. And Roland definitely fits that mold. So I would say that maybe if you just grab the average person uh, in Roland's world and said, hey, real quick, tell me, what's Ka mean to you? <laughs> yeah, If you were anywhere but tall, I guess you might get an answer. <laughs> of it being destiny but yeah i think you'd have to be a gunslinger or maybe from gilead to get something more yeah i you know i don't think i'm going out on a limb when people of our age could make a connection between ka and the force from star wars Mm -hmm. um you know and by the time a new hope rolls around and obi-wan's the only jedi that we know of left you know, it's easy for Han Solo to say, I've heard of this force thing, but I don't quite understand your kooky it. religion, your kooky religion, you know. Um, but, you know, in the prequels, there's definitely a sense of, hey, everybody's sort of aware of what the force is and what it means um, and how that, at least within the Jedi Knights circle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's me making my Star Wars reference for the night. So, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this in The Gunslinger, but how. You know, when you have sort of a duty or destiny, are you just sort of going along the rails of the of the train track to where where you need to be led? I mean, is there any free will involved here or does that is that how the duty sort of ties into that? If you're if you're doing the right thing at every time and if you're following the path that's there in front of you, you you still have some sort of free will or is is rolling just along for the ride here? Yeah, when we talked about it that time, I, I kind of made an allusion to sort of like the, the wagon wheel ruts in the path that it's really hard to diverge from those because they are so ingrained and you're just following that path. And it would take a great force or a great force of will to to move away from that. And there are even forces that seem to be at play that help to keep Roland on that path or help him not maybe not keep him on the path but make it easier for him to stay on it Mm. like he's never really worried that he's out of water or out of food or about to die from an infected lobstrosity bite it's just kind of like well here i am but ka will continue to turn and i will continue on my quest as as ka allows and it's just kind of like uh, and things seem to happen for him like right at the moment when he needs it he finds Eddie and gets antibiotics. Right <laughs> at the moment that he runs out of water, he gets to a place where there's fresh water available, etc. 
Um, even the lobstrosities are sort of a, a gift from Ka, if you will. Like they are dangerous and they are the reason Roland is sick, but they're also a source of food in a place that apparently has nothing else to eat yeah. and no way to and no way to get it. But they're plentiful and easy to catch. Gotta wonder how hungry was Stephen King for lobster dinner when he <laughs> when he started writing that section of the book. Yep. Well, it's interesting too because you know, we say that Ka's informing Roland's actions and he has a duty and he, you know, things happen for him. But throughout this chapter, you know, Roland's really out of it for the most part and not yeah. the main actor in what's happening. And Eddie sort of falls right into that, doesn't he? Like he seems to pick up and realizes he has a duty to keep Roland alive. Like he's not going to just as much as he might want to let him die here on the beach. He's very much a, all right, I'm going to go up into the hills and find water and I'm going to kill these lobsters and feed you and I'm going to keep you moving. So Eddie's picked it up, even if he doesn't believe in it. You know, I think he says, you know, that sounds like shit to me, Roland. Um, yeah. But he's still going along with it. Like he's he's doing what he needs to do. And Roland is too, right? He, I think near the beginning, he can barely talk and he's just saying, the tower. In, yeah. a, in his raspy voice, he could barely make it out and we see this change in Eddie here too, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. The next thing about Ka that I wanted to say is where, as they're talking about it, the gunslinger shrugs and says, I don't discuss philosophy. I don't study history. All I know is what's past is past and what's ahead is ahead. The second is Ka and takes care of itself. Roland doesn't look back very often, right? He's just focused on what's ahead. And, you know, once he starts to come a little bit out of the fever, he tells Eddie, you got to keep going north on the beach. Yeah. You know, like there's no, well, what about this? What about that? Well, we can't worry about that. You know, we've just got to move forward. Yeah. I, I don't buy that Roland even agrees with that, that he, that there is no past or whatever. The past is the past. He, he's, he's proven to be too introspective and he even comes right out and says like, he denies that he thinks about philosophy and stuff like that, but I, I don't believe it. And it goes back to that conversation that we've been having since episode one, that Roland says it, King says it, the people who know Roland say it, it's like, he's simple. He's, he's not, in, he's, he's, he's a, a dangerous dullard and all this other stuff, right? But he always proves the opposite to be true in his actions and in his thoughts and, and, and in the things he says. So even here, I, I think he's maybe lying to himself. The past does matter, and to just walk away from it as if it didn't happen or it has no effect on what comes next, I think is a pretty simplistic view on it. And then to just say, hang his hat on Ka for the future and just like, ah, oh, whatever happens, it's fine, <laughs> it's Ka, it'll take us where it's taken us, so it's all good. You know, like, the past is over and Ka's gonna guide us, so... What's the point in even spending any time thinking about it? I don't buy it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I think there's been enough evidence that he has looked back in the past. I wonder if part of it's saying it here just to get Eddie to stop thinking about the past because that Eddie's, could be Eddie's the one who's really screwed over here, right? Like it's easy for Roll it's easy for Roland to say forget the forget about the past because hey, you're in a different world now. Forget about your other world. Like and Eddie is the one who is so keenly connected to and obsessed with his past because of what he just experienced and everything leading up to his brother's death. That's 
very fresh on his mind and something that's always going to probably be part of his psyche at this point. Yep. So it could be that. I, I was thinking in terms of what does Roland really think and what has Roland really done? Not really just being like that, if not friend, that acquaintance who says, uh, everything will work out. It's okay. You know, the past is the past. Que sera, sera, you know? Wait, that sounds like real Italian, not the uh, bastardized <laughs> Italian we're normally used to reading in this book. Uh-huh. Don't you mean Q seri seri? Yeah, or some other fake Latin. <laughs> Well, now that we've brought up Eddie a little bit, maybe it's it's time to talk about it. You know, when we ended the prisoner section, Roland had put into Eddie's eyes these whole dreams of the tower and, hey, anything could happen on the way to the tower. And Eddie had really bought into it. And as we start off this chapter, Eddie's views seem to have changed slightly. Yeah, he's had some time to think about things. Yeah, it turns out that when you're sitting on a beach with lobstrosities and a a dying guy sitting next to you and you're in an alien world, um, you start to think and about- And in withdrawal from yeah. heroin. <laughs> it turns out you got a lot of things to think about. One thing being, hey, I should kill myself, but I don't want to because this is the only pair of pants I've got. And if I screw it up, I've crapped my <laughs> pants and that's bad. So that's one thing I thought about. But then also, you know, he's very upset that Roland- even through all this in his fever dream, I was only thinking about the tower, right? And he's like, you and your fucking tower. That's all you think about. That's all that matters to you. And he calls him a kidnapper at some point. You've kidnapped me, which was, you know, the very end of the prisoner section was very much sounding like, hey, Eddie, you've got a choice. You can come to the tower and anything can happen. And he was all on board. Mm -hmm. And now he's like, you kidnapped me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Eddie walked through that door willingly, but I don't think he had a lot of choice. I mean, it was like basically be arrested with drugs and guns and a bunch of dead people all around you. That's pretty much life in jail, right? I'm wondering if Eddie could have talked his way out of it being naked and all. Could be. He might have had a good excuse if he had a good lawyer. <laughs> if he had Roland in his head, maybe uh, Roland could have given him some tips. But yeah, he was he was in a bad spot. But, you know, Eddie's very much changed in this chapter and he's become very resentful of Roland. And part of that is what we were just talking about too, right? He's obsessed with the past. Like he tells this long story as they're walking on the beach of, here's my life. Here's why my brother was this way. And here's why I'm this way, I think. And because of it. And, you know, Roland just wants to tell him to <laughs> I've heard the story. I know what type of person you are. I know what type of person your brother was. I got you all pegged, but I'm just going to let you tell this story because obviously, and Roland wouldn't say this, this is your therapy that you need to work some things out. Yeah. But Roland you would just never need to say, say that, all the he, words. Yeah, just say all the words. And that way the past can be in the past and we can just focus on what's ahead. You know, ka. Ka, exactly. But we do learn a little bit about Eddie here. I mean, do you, what do you think about Eddie in this chapter? Have your views on him changed from sort of the, the Charlie from Lost character that he was in uh, the prisoner section to this a little bit more of a woe is me type of character in the, in the shuffle? Um, I think he does veer a little bit closer to the woe is me, but I think it was good to learn more about his past. Clearly, throughout The Prisoner, we heard about his brother and how his brother was very important to him and the reason why he was willing to take these risks and put his life in danger and, and all the stuff was for his brother's sake. But I think when we learned what kind of person his brother was and realized that very quickly, just like Roland does, that, yeah, this is a familiar story. These are, this is a familiar type of person. And you lose your sympathy for Henry. And uh, I wouldn't say I lost sympathy for Eddie, but it made it 
harder for me to go along with some of his rationale. Mm. Like there are a couple of times when Roland thinks during Eddie's story that it might have been better if you had run away and yep. left your brother behind. Or if your brother, when his when his brother had one of his fake, I'm going to leave you guys and takes off, like if he had kept going, you know, it would have actually improved Eddie's life and he wouldn't have ended up a heroin junkie mixed up with drug dealers and having to fight for his life. But that's who Henry was. And he was a user or in some sense of the word, a pusher mm -hmm. of a kind. And um, Roland uses that word. Yep. It's like, oh yeah, he would push you. He would push things. He would take it to just a little bit further than he should have to get what he wanted. Exaggerating his limp when it was convenient and crying foul or being self-deprecating to, to an extreme. All these things were like master manipulations of Eddie. And the only person, except perhaps for their mother, who would even give a crap about this stuff or fall for it but yep so do you get the sense that roland understanding what kind of character eddie is is able to manipulate him did did he manipulate him into coming into his world or 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 does he manipulate him into continuing down their path you know through the tower i mean he basically says we need to keep going down the beach and and he's like what the hell how are we going to do that but Sure enough, he figures out a way of making a sled of, of some sort and getting Roland on it. And he becomes in, you know, shows some ingenuity in how he puts that together and, you know, really pushes himself to get Roland down the beach. And then at the end, you know, Eddie seems to say, I'm going to betray Roland in some way and I really need to get back to my world and I don't care. And does does Roland know how to push him and manipulate him or is it or is it just Roland being a good read of character. I think maybe it's more Roland's a good reader of people's character. He definitely manipulates Eddie, but not in the same way that His Henry did. manipulated. Yeah. Um, Roland has a clear agenda, and part of that is to have Eddie with him on the journey to the tower. He has very limited information that he got from the man in black, but part of that was you're going to draw three people to you and they will join you on your quest. Mm -hmm. And already, every person that that we've seen Roland encounter, every meaningful person, I should say, he's certainly encountered lots of others. But like Jake, he's uh, Roland saw something in Jake to, and thought he could be a gunslinger if given the proper uh, training and time. And he sees the same thing in Eddie. And he gets that that really intimate connection with eddie because he gets to be in his head yeah. and sort of scan his mind a little bit and he says this guy is uh unlike so many people around him in in our new york of the 80s he's not soft he's not you know tuned out from the world so he could be a gunslinger too yeah. so i think roland sees this as he needs comrades in arms to to achieve his goals and Eddie is somebody who has that potential. So I think he needs him there and he wants him with him. And Roland, unlike unlike Henry, I mean, Roland is very upfront with what the quest is. He's not yeah. lying or trying to pull the wool over Eddie's eyes. I mean, he's very direct on, here's what could happen and here's what we're doing and this is what we need to do. And it's not going to be easy and we're going to yeah. do it. So he is very straightforward about it. 
it's interesting because so you know we do you know you mentioned how eddie is sort of you know he's weak but roland sees the potential in eddie and i think we talked about this last episode and and sure enough king brings it up in the middle of the book or a middle of the section um he says another man less pragmatic and more introspective than roland might have asked to himself if not right out loud why this one why this man to start? Why a man who uh-huh. seems to promise weakness or strangeness or even outright doom? Which I think was exactly our question, not the <laughs> not the last part, but why this one? I think we we all were asking that last. Like, why did you know if he really did need antibiotics? Why not just find a pharmacist? Why did you have to be a drug right. dealer trying to smuggle drugs in an airplane? Like, but to your point, I mean, he does have a good measure of what Eddie is actually like and what his potential could be. Yeah, and I think Roland is pragmatic enough to think nobody's perfect. Everybody's got their flaws. I mean, even what we learned about Roland's childhood companions, they all had their strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And Roland even has his weakness of being kind of just too simple. You know, and everybody keeps telling him that you're too simple to do this, that, or the other thing. And that's why you're going to be the best. And I just I still struggle with that that your lack of whatever is going to make you better than the others but you know, Cuthbert was too much of a jokester and Elaine was too thoughtful and so Eddie's got the steel within him to be a a, a skilled gunslinger but he has the weakness of drug addiction mm-hmm. and that's always going to be with him and it might take on different forms or something but that's always going to be something that could weaken him or or make him a a weaker vessel, but nobody's perfect. But he does prove himself. So as we mentioned, he's able to put together using parts of the tape that they had torn off him with the drugs and mm-hmm. parts of of Roland's gun belts and, and, and other materials. He's able to put together this sled. He's able to find the water. He's able to kill the lobstrosities, um, both with the gun, um, although they're quickly running out of shells. Um, yeah. I think... Roland mentions like he Eddie seems to have the pocket of what Roland had determined were the good shells, but only one in every I think he says one in every five maybe is is actually good. Um mm-hmm. but you know, Eddie's able to figure out the lobstrosities and sort of get a good understanding of when they come out and how he can get them and feed them. And even though Roland doesn't realize he's eating lobster at first, he's totally freaked out. But you mm-hmm. know, Eddie's able to find water and eventually Eddie's able to get them towards the next door, which is where this section ends. You know, Roland sees it with his superhuman eyes much quicker than Eddie, even though Eddie has 20-20 vision. Um, this door, and they get to this point where, you know, Eddie's frustrated. Roland's starting to see the steel in him, but they get to the door and Eddie grabs Roland's gun. And Roland, as we know how quick he is, has sort of put it all in his mind. Like he could see what Eddie was going to do know all the actions he realizes i could do x y and z move to break his arm and make sure he doesn't grab my gun yeah but he lets eddie grab it the purpose being he trusts eddie i think at this point right i don't know if it's trust maybe he doesn't trust eddie he trusts ka let's put it that way you might be able to chalk it up to ka i i think if you put roland on a lie detector and you asked him if he thinks it's ka he'd probably pass that when he said yes but i think roland saw the chess moves that Eddie was going to make before they got to the door. Mm. As soon as Roland saw the door in the distance, he, he said, this is going to go down <laughs> in basically only one way. Right. So 
the the whole being faster on the draw and could have broken Eddie's arm in two places before he could have grabbed the gun and all that stuff. Yeah, that that's all well and good. But I think Roland saw this coming. And I think what he really put his faith in was that he knows how smart Eddie is. Mm. And that even though Eddie really wants to jump through that door and go back to his world and get a bucket of chicken and some more heroin, <laughs> that he's before he pulls the trigger, he's going to work it out for himself. And he's mm. going to realize it can't work that way. If he puts a bullet between Roland's eyes, the door vanishes and there's no path to his world anyway. And I think he also comes to the same conclusion that Roland does, that who knows where this door will open or when. Yeah. And you know, there might be a bucket of chicken on the other side, or it could be this, uh, what was it? The... It was the uh, eight eyes and nine arms like Suvia. And I think Suvia is just the made-up god in, in, in Roland's world of some sort. I, I mm. can't find any reference to it anywhere else. Yeah. So I think that Roland already put all those pieces together, figured out all those moves, anticipated Eddie's every action and thought long before Eddie did, because Eddie wasn't thinking that far ahead. He just yep. wanted his next fix and some chicken. <laughs> Who can blame him, really, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I need a chicken fix every once in a while, too. I, I mean, it's only been three hours since I had dinner, and I'm looking for some heroin and chicken right now. <laughs> mm, chicken. So I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Eddie does not shoot Roland. No. Right pretty, now. Pretty sure. I'm that pretty sure, yeah. We're we're left on a little bit of a... Uh, half-assed cliffhanger? Half-assed cliffhanger, because we're halfway through the book and only <laughs> like a seventh of the way through the series. I'm pretty sure that uh, it doesn't end right here. So I do think that what is really interesting about the shuffle, though, is this relationship between Eddie and Roland. And we see how it grows and how Eddie's dealing with things and how, you know, it's it, it's good to have, and I think I, what I like about this book in particular is much more of an interplay between two interesting characters. Um, yeah. And Eddie is nothing if not interesting. You know, in, in The Gunslinger, we didn't have that. And in this book, it's just the banter between the two of them. You know, Eddie's constantly dropping pop references and jokes mm -hmm. along the way and you know, I think even Roland tries to get a couple jokes in in here, despite his sickness. And, you know, I, I think they do truly appreciate each other, even though they're sometimes because they're the only things. Yeah. Have. And, and uh, Roland is certainly Eddie's um, superior when it comes to, say, fighting or, or shooting. But Eddie is Roland's equal, if not better, when it comes to witty banter yeah. and, you know, just dropping sick burns and stuff like that. <laughs> I mean, Ro Roland gets a couple good ones in, but Eddie is right on par yep. with Roland there. And that, 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 that exchange between them and that relationship that starts off like it's almost instinctive that as soon as they, they understand how they, their minds are linked or overlapped uh, at the beginning of the prisoner, Eddie is just immediately willing to work with Roland mm -hmm. in a way that Two people who just met kind of wouldn't be able to or wouldn't be willing to, but they do. They they come together and they fight side by side and they win the day because of that. And I think that that relationship takes a slight dip as they both are dealing with their illnesses. But as they recover and get to this cliffhanger, I think just like Roland saw several moves ahead of Eddie, I think he also sees that Eddie's going to come right back around. He's going to sort this stuff out himself and realize maybe... 
maybe shooting Roland is not the best idea. Yeah. All right. So let's go into some of our random thoughts on this chapter. Um, we pointed out in our last episode a couple of what seem to be continuity errors on King's part. Um, and there's more in this one. One, I think, is a simple typo. I, I noticed he spelled Coney Island wrong, which hmm. was sort of a, a surprise to me. But the more significant one that I noticed, and I think you did as well, um, is when they were talking about their Northwood journey up the beach. And they noticed that the beach never seems to change. But if you needed a sign of progress, you could look left to the east. Yeah. And there the jagged peaks of the mountains had begun to soften and slump a bit. So in my world, when I head north and I look to the left, I believe I'm looking to the west. I would agree with that. And when they're on the Western Sea, that implies that the sea is to the west, which would be to their left and not the mountains. So um, this is twice that this error has come up, Jay, at least twice. This might be the third time. I think this is at least the third time in, in this book that this has happened. And it's not been consistent. Like if it was always reversed, fine. You know, then in Roland's world on the Western beach, north is south, east is west. Okay, but it flip-flops. And I don't think it's just explained away by, like, in that paragraph, they turned around for a second, because there's none of that. But yeah, it even goes on to say, like, that Eddie shields the right side of his face from the (laughs) westering sun. Who writes the detail of which side of his face he shades to add emphasis to the fact that the westering sun is to his right? Yeah. So... Constant listeners, we know there are a lot of you out there listening. Um, Many of you have much more knowledge than I do on the Dark Tower series. If you have any insight into this, um, please let us know (laughs) and what your thoughts are. We'd be very interested to hear and discuss on a future episode. Yeah, I'd I'd really like to, to know what's going on here. I've got one more potential error. Um, when they get to the second door. The second door reads The Lady of Shadows. And in our last chapter, um, Roland looks at a sign and is unable to read the letter H. It is totally baffling to him. It is Mm -hmm. three lines that he's never seen put together in that format before. And it throws (laughs) him like, what's that word? I can't read it because it has an H in it. And here in The Lady of Shadows, there is an H. Um, So again, I'm just having trouble understanding and you know i think it could be written away with oh well he can read it but can eddie read it too and i think he can um so what actual written language are both roland and eddie able to understand and how do roland and eddie communicate in a language that they both can speak and maybe this should be the least of my worries of what i should believe and disbelieve in a fantasy series about characters jumping into each other's minds and traversing large distances and times through doorways on beaches. Yeah, I think at some point you just got to let things like this go. (laughs) Uh, I'm not willing to let go of which way is east and the sun sets and all that stuff, but um, I think it was an interesting twist to have Roland not recognize written words, but only as a function of making it show that there's overlap or similarity Mm. between what we think of as English and what he thinks of as the high speech. Yeah. And, um, but to show that it's not exactly the same. Sure. 
but if we're going to spend like every other paragraph of, you know, whoever is in the foreign world thinking, I can't make sense of these words all the time. <laughs> I think that would just start to get silly. True. You know? But at least we can all sing Hey Jude together. Exactly. That's all that really Although, matters. How do you spell hey? Maybe it's just A Jude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. What else? Anything else in this chapter that uh, stood out for you? James? Yeah, there was some uh, fun stuff that I liked. At one point when Eddie is dragging Roland uh, north up the beach, he uh, has this, I thought, almost unrealistically clever turn of phrase that Eddie mm. said to Roland when he links Roland's state of hors de combat with the lobstrosity's desire to make Roland into hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. And um, so I'm like, Wow, the city kid from the projects. He speaks enough French to know hors de combat and hors d'oeuvres. Like, okay, I'll buy the hors d'oeuvres, but I had to look up hors de combat myself because I don't speak French. And what I learned that meant was that you basically are out of commission due to an injury. You are out of combat because you've been hurt. And that is exactly Roland's state. He's yep. been attacked by the lobstrosities and now he's out of commission and sick and near death. But um, if it weren't for Eddie there to protect him, he would have become an hors d'oeuvre. And uh, I think that's King just being too clever by half. But I still liked it. I would agree. I was I was unfamiliar with that phrase as well. And uh, I really liked Roland's sick burn to Eddie when uh, Eddie's telling some part of his sob story. And Roland says, wait a second, which war was it? And Eddie's like, what do you mean? He says, the one that you got your sense of nobility and purpose shot off. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Sick Roland burn. Of course, that made Eddie walk away the, the, crying. Yeah, that but... makes Eddie cry. Roland is a bully. <laughs> like, yeah. Maybe that was more than a sick burn. My sixth grade daughters know that they should report Roland as a bully and somebody will take care of him and have us talk with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was interesting to get a little bit more evidence of just how dangerous Roland is. Mm. There's a point when at one of Roland's weakest moments when Eddie slaps Roland to keep him awake long enough to take his antibiotics, the very thing that is keeping him from dying. Roland's eyes are so alive and electric, Eddie looks uneasy. So on death's door, too sick, tired, and weak to even stay awake, Eddie still sees danger in Roland's eyes. It's just like, wow. Like, how imposing how threatening of a stare does this guy muster even when he's basically dead that yep. you're like wait, wait i shouldn't have hit him <laughs> sorry yep i know it's a little bit of fanboy uh like well isn't isn't roland so cool but yes yes he is <laughs> yeah i guess he is pretty cool guy well i wanted to end with a little bit more about roland's backstory there's just one paragraph. It's right after the sentence we mentioned earlier when Roland's questioning why Eddie. And King says, not only did the gunslinger never ask this question and never formulated itself in his mind, Cuthbert would have asked. Cuthbert had questioned everything, had been poisoned with questions, had died with one in his mouth. And now they were gone, all gone. Court's last gunslingers, the 13 survivors of a beginning class that had numbered 56, were all dead. All dead but Roland. He was the last gunslinger. Um, and then he remembers Court saying that 13 is an evil number, and it turns out Court wasn't there to be at the ceremony, and in fact, he died nine weeks later of poison, some said, 
Um, and then two mm-hmm. years later, there was a final bloody civil war. And then there was the slaughter. And it's like, whoa, we get this sort of packed, packed paragraph with all sorts of interesting yeah. details of, whoa, this is sort of cool. I want to hear a little bit more about this. Yeah. Just like what we said in the last episode, there isn't a lot of this main story arc backstory content so far in, in this book, but the tiny bites and nibbles that we get are really heavyweight. Like yeah. um, that paragraph just throws down so much history. And once again, King is painting himself into a narrative corner. We know that Court is dead now for sure. We know that and that he died very shortly after Roland graduated mm-hmm. as a gunslinger. So he didn't even live much longer than the few stories we've heard about Court. And we are, again, given a little bit more information about how Roland's companions died. Cuthbert dies with a question on his lips, which could mean anything. It's definitely interesting stuff. And I don't think that what is in the past is in the past and all that matters is what's ahead. It does seem like some of this stuff in the backstory is important. It's a little bit odd or it's a little bit unclear whether Roland is remembering all of these details in the time or if it's King, the narrator, giving us this and it's sort of pieces of this are flashing through Roland's mind as he goes through this. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's there makes us think that it's important and it's not just the past, even though Roland says all that matters is Ka and the tower and death. So it was interesting stuff. Um, I know in the first book, I wasn't quite as interested in the older stories but as we move along and we get these details it becomes more of interest to me yeah i mean that's a big part of what makes me hungry for books like this to to get to the next book and the next book is to just i get tastes of the world and i want to know more of the world i want to know how did we get to where we are and more than just what comes next but what went into getting us to what comes next and why is that important and it's not just these books it's like i that's why I was like totally addicted to the Vampire Chronicles and several of Clive Barker's books that sort of overlap a little bit. And yep. once you get a little taste of it, if it's fun, if you like it, you want to keep going. And uh, that's how I was with the Dark Tower books. The first book was more than enough to whet my appetite. And by the time I read through the second book, the first time, there was no holding me back from book three. Well, I am enjoying this read through. I hope our listeners are as well. And I hope we're adding value in this podcast. We thank you all for listening. I think that that might be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Jay, do you have anything else? I think that's a wrap for today. Great. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in our show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash two guys dark tower and our twitter handle is at two guys dark tower we would appreciate any feedback questions comments answers to what lies to the west and what lies to the east in any of those formats and we will discuss on a future episode also if you like this show please rate us on itunes we're looking for more five-star reviews and if you put a review on there we will share your name in an upcoming podcast Next episode, join us as we cover book two of The Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three. We'll be discussing the Lady of Shadows section. This is approximately 90 pages, so be prepared. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening.
Hallelujah.